Hey, we're going we're gonna to talk again our second part tonight on incarnation. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading some things we've already mentioned to you. You might want to go ahead and make your way to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. I'm going to be reading some, some new verses there in the Christmas account as we get there. Last week we begun to just teach on Wednesday night just some doctrine. In fact, uh, God willing, um, and, and you know me, I, just, I, may, I may change, but I think on Wednesday night I'm, I'm going to do my best to just sow sound doctrine into people um, and just combat the spirit of the age, which says that in last times they will not endure sound doctrine, that they'll clamor for teachers that will tickle their ears. And it's not that we don't like to hear good things. I mean, I mean I'm not dumb. I mean, I have just enough marketing in me to understand that that people want hope. Sure, they want something encouraging. They want to hear the promise of God. And, and these things are good and right and in order. Uh, but at the same time, you just can't get the dessert without getting the meat and potatoes. Uh, because if all you ate was your dessert, you'd look like one big fudge cake. You understand that. So you'd, you'd look like that, you know, banana split. You'd look like you know, that lemon tart or whatever it is those ladies were eating the other day. What did Natalie, Natalie, you made that thing there. I just heard all sorts of good reports on that dessert. Well, if you, that's, that's all you ate, you look like one of Natalie's desserts right there. You know, we just put a big cherry on your head and just admire you. But you can't do that. You got to get your meat, your potatoes. You got to get your vegetables. You got to get all the, the spiritual vitamins in you so that, uh, that you'll be a mature and strong believer. So one of those areas during the Christmas time, it just brings us to this point is incarnation. And so this is part two from last week, the God who shows up. That's what incarnation really is. It's when God showed up and it's why Jesus coming to this earth, why it was so important and why God enfleshing himself is so important as well. Guys, go to the next slide. I just want to remind you that incarnation literally means the God who becomes man, or again, God enfleshing himself in human form. Now, I, I, I was reading, I was just getting the cobwebs blown out of my mind, and I was reading a story uh, that was a good little illustration about the whole concept of incarnation. Uh, a gentleman on a farm on a cold, wintry day, uh, watching out his great, uh, you know, what do they call those portrait windows? Yes, it wasn't stained glass, but it was just plate glass windows, you know, just one of those giant windows. We had one of those in the house that I grew up in. And uh, crazy, blustery, wintry day. And all of a sudden, as he's looking out this great window, a bird was flying and came and, and hit the window. Now, it didn't hit it hard enough to hurt it or, or stun it. But obviously, a bird hitting the window, it just, you know, it would obviously awaken it. And for whatever reason, the bird just keep, kept flying into the window. It was, it was confused. It was wanting to get out of the elements. It was, it was one of those terrible days. And the guy's watching this, and he so desperately wanted to help the bird. I remember when we first moved into this building, some of you may remember this as well, we had not gotten all the different <laughs> holes in the wall and the access to the outside uh, uh, you know, filled in and filled up. And so one Sunday morning I came in before anybody got here and we had a visitor and a visitor was flying around in the, 
in the foyer and it just kept and it kept hitting the glass and I felt so bad for it because I wasn't wanting to hurt it I wasn't wanting to kill it but how many of you know you just can't have a bird flying around in the sanctuary that is not good to have a bird in the sanctuary and uh, so I was sitting there going what in the world's going to happen in that particular instance the bird hit it so hard it kind of stunned him and he fell to the floor and we were able to put a box over him and just slowly get him out and and we saved the bird can you say amen for all the bird lovers amen we did not have to kill the bird anyway back to my original story I digress. <laughs> so, so this guy's watching this bird hit this plate glass window over and over. And it's really, you know, blustery, wintry day, terrible, terrible uh, elements and circumstance. And he's going, oh, if I could only somehow help the bird. But there's no way you're going to get out there. Anybody that can even imagine that, you know, the bird's not going to stop and let you grab it and help get it to a barn or wherever it needs to go. And the thought simply hit him, if I could just become another bird. I could lead him to a safe place if I could just become like that bird. That is incarnation. It's when God looked at us and we were hitting our heads against walls. Anybody here besides me knock their head up against a few walls? Um, you know, when we were in, in terrible circumstances, elements, sin had absolutely devastated our lives. It had crushed us. The sentence of death was upon us. And here's God, holy, transcendent, awesome, almost unreachable. And, and, and there was something in the heart of God that, that said, if I could just be one of them, I could lead them to safety. That's incarnation. That's Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. He became us. If you want, if you want the real technical stuff, you don't have to turn there now, but Philippians chapter 2, Paul deals with that. He talks about Jesus, who, being equal with God, thought it not robbery to be such, but pouring himself out, taking on the form of a servant. He became a man. So, so Jesus literally always was, always is, and always shall be. And interestingly, whenever we talk about this, you know, all through the 2000 so years, the church has been around, you know, they wrestled in the early church with the nature of Jesus. And I told you last week, you know, Jesus isn't 50, 50, 50 percent God, 50 percent man. I told you what he was 100 and 100. He was fully God and fully man. He wasn't half and half. All right. And one of the greatest challenges in the early church, and one of the reasons they had the first ecumenical council was they had to deal with the nature of Jesus because there was this guy by the name of Arius who basically said that Jesus was not God, but he was something in between God and man. And so uh, the Latin was tertium quid. He was something in between. And that caused this big old upheaval. Now, there are still groups to this day that believe Jesus was something less than God and something more than man. Um, Jehovah Witnesses tend to diminish. They're oftentimes called the modern Aryans. And so they've diminished the deity of Christ. Anytime you find a group that diminishes his deity is usually a group that is probably cultic in nature. Now, again, I don't diminish his deity, but he was what? He was 100% God and 100% man. And so we're going to wrestle with some mysteries concerning Jesus. In fact, Paul would say in his writings that this whole business of incarnation was a mystery. And so, uh, and so I'm not going to be able to answer every question surrounding it, but, but these are the things we know because the Bible says this to us. The greatest question that oftentimes comes is this question. They'll, people will ask, well, if Jesus 
if Jesus was God, how could God be born? Because that doesn't make sense, does it, that God would be born? But again, we're talking again about his humanity part. I like, you know, Paul talked about Jesus. He uses a different term. He uses the term begotten. He was begotten of the Father. So he wasn't born in the sense that we were, but he was, he was begotten. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know how that worked when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and he was conceived inside of her. And, and I don't know what all was going on inside of there. I mean, I know a little bit of biology, so I kind of get, you know, kind of the biological aspects of how human beings are, are, are conceived. And all I can tell you is this, that whatever was going on in there, it was begotten. All right. That's the word begotten. And at that moment, uh, he manifested. Now, we mentioned to you how incarnation underscores several practical truths. I see it on the screen up there. So, so get these down, and uh, we're going to work with a couple new things here tonight. Number one is, the reason it's important is because God understands who you are and what you're facing because He came to this earth and has faced what you faced. That's what the Scripture says. Now, I put up there Isaiah seven fourteen, which is what we dealt with last week that said, that his name shall be called Emmanuel or God with us. It's not God above us. It's God with us. But the scripture tells us that when Jesus came and moved amongst us, there's a great verse that says there was there was no temptation known unto man that he did not face. He faced everything. Guys, everything you face, Jesus faced. Ladies, believe it or not, everything you face, he faced. And in all of that now. That temptation was real. It was powerful, just like it's real and powerful in all of our lives. But having faced all of that, the scripture says, yet, yet without sin. So he never, he never acted or he never implemented um, all of that. But the reason that's important is because he understands me. See, that's, that's really the key to being a high priest. A priest, the reason the priest was so important in ancient Israel was the priest was the representative of of God to the people, and he was also the representative of the people to God. He was this priest. Now, we all know that the priests of Israel, you know, they could be scoundrels and rascals as well. And so there was never a high priest that was really adequate for what needed to take place in order to grab the hand of God and the hand of man. Well, Jesus shows up and uh, the Hebrew writer says, after the order of Melchizedek, because in the scripture, Melchizedek just shows up. Melchizedek, we never see where he came from, and we don't know where he went to. He's, the Melchizedek is like the lone ranger of the scriptures. He just rides in and rides out, and no one knows where he came from or where he went to. And Jesus was analogized to Melchizedek. He's the only one. He had no beginning. He has no ending. But he's the only one that's both God and man, and he has the ability as a high priest to understand exactly exactly what's going on in the heart of the father and at the same time he understands exactly what's going on in the heart of man and he's able to intercede and to plead your case and my case and as he stands before the father he's able to say father i understand exactly what they're going through and and like i said i don't know that i get how the trinity works i'm kind of like augustine if if you know, to try to understand it, you'll lose your mind. But if you don't believe it, you'll lose your soul. So I don't know that I get it. It's kind of a mystery. But somewhere in that, the capacity to understand us, because he faced exactly 
what we face. And conversely, when we look at Jesus, we see the face of God. We understand the heart of God. So number two. And that's why when you go to the Old Testament and you try to un un unravel what you see God doing in the Old Testament, that's why as Christians, we have, how do I want to say this? I, want to, I, you know, I don't want to say this arrogantly, but because we have Jesus, we, we, we can rightly interpret the Old Testament Scriptures because we understand the nature of God. I'm going to say this very gently and very carefully. Do you understand why Judaism... Although I think Judaism is based on a, on a more truthful foundation than the Quran or Islam is. But do you understand the reason the reason the Quran uh, leads people to be backpack bombers? Do you, do you understand why it is? Is because there's no life in those scriptures. Nor is there life really in the old covenant if you were just Jewish. There's no life in that either. I will assure you there's no life because the minute I throw Leviticus at you, you would just go, ugh. There was no life in that. But the reason for Christians it's different is because we interpret these things through the eyes of who? Jesus. We, 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 there's, there's a life giver. So we're not blowing people up, but we're understanding what the precepts are as we go through that in a whole different way. So, so anyway, God understands us and we understand God. Number two. The reason incarnation is important is because there are things we can't fix ourselves. There are things in your life you cannot fix yourself. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 18, it says this, that after the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, who's, uh, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, again, a very important line. He will save the people from their sins. I'm going to say it one more time. I know you know this. I understand everybody in the room understands this concept. He will, he will save the people from their sins. Listen to me. It did not say he would be an inspiration to you. Now, this is very, very important because do you want to be inspired? Certainly. But do you understand the reason we come to God isn't for inspiration? It's to be saved from our sins. Are you following me? It doesn't say he will be their life coach. Doesn't say that, does it? I'm all for life coaches. Some of us need a life coach. But that's not why he came. Did not say that he will help them see the bright side of every situation they're facing. It's not what it says. He will save the people from their sins. The reason that's such an important phrase is because we could not save ourselves. And that's why incarnation was important, because we could not fix the problem. Now, again, I'm not going to get into all the different nuances of theology, but, but just give me a little latitude here just by making a point. God instituted a whole covenant 
with rules and regulations and with sacrifices and with do's and with don'ts and with festivals and, and with banquets and with years. And it was an incredibly intricate system and he gave it to us and we couldn't get it right. We couldn't do it. In fact, some have even suggested that the whole reason God gave the law was to frustrate us, which may be true. What God said was, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, because if I just if I just looked at him and said, I'm a holy God, you're never going to get it. And that's all I said. It wouldn't be enough for them because there would still be people who would say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you know, me and God. No, what he did was he gave us the law. In fact, Paul said he wouldn't even have known. He couldn't have known God without understanding what the law is. God gave us the law in order to understand that that in order to try to keep this stuff to appease him is impossible. And, and so what happened was we needed someone who could come and atone for our wrongdoing and then even come live inside of us in order that through him we could live righteously as unto God. So he will save the people from their sins. You and I need saving. We can't save ourselves. We can't get fixed by a pep talk. You are in an ocean. You are drowning and you need a life raft. You don't need somebody on the side giving you a cheery story. Do you understand? You're drowning in an ocean. That's, that's, uh, we're drowning in an ocean. And, and you don't need somebody from the boat that's going by saying, you can do it. You need a life boat to save you from your predicament. Amen. And then number three. What else do we understand? Just a practical truth. We understand that when the time is right, He always shows up. You know, I've often said, you know, God doesn't think in terms of early and late. Do you understand? When you're eternal, there's no such thing as late. Are you following me? I mean, you're, you're eternal. I mean, there's no beginning, there's no end. You're not dying. There's no reason to be in a hurry. In, in our conception, the only reason we're in a hurry is because I got a death date out here somewhere. So I got to get on with life because one of these days I'm not going to be here anymore. So I've got a, a prescribed, defined, finite amount of time before I'm out of here. So you know what? I need to get as much crammed in to this time period as I can because I'm not going to be here forever. Do you know God never thinks in those terms? He never looks at you and says, oh, I've got to hurry and cram all my good stuff in their life. God doesn't, that, that, God, he doesn't even conceive of that. That's why it says in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, uh, I read it to you uh, last Wednesday. It says, but when the fullness of time had come. And what that phrase means is this. When nobody pressured him, nobody forced him, he waited until everything was like he wanted it. Everything was orchestrated and in order. It was that perfect moment, the fullness of time. He shows up. Boy, that's a word for somebody here tonight. God's not going to do something in your life in a hurry. He's waiting for the fullness of time. And you need to be patient and receive the fullness of time. All right? So these are just three real practical things that incarnation underscores. And they're very important. And in a busy Christmas season and at the end of the year, we need reminded that God is the one who shows up. Now, I just happened to run across this. I wanted to just share this with you. Because you know what? There, 
you've heard this and, and, and people laugh and some people don't believe it to be true and some people don't care. But um, there is literally a war on Christmas. Can I just share this with you? There was a war at the first Christmas. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this coming Sunday. When Herod heard that there was a king that was showing up in the form of a baby, he declared war. So, so there's always been a war on Christmas. But, but I just wanted to share this with you about what your hard-earned tax dollars are underwriting. This is at the Smithsonian. You've heard of that, haven't you? It's that little museum up there in Washington, D.C. That's underwritten by all of us here in this room. Listen to this. The National Portrait Gallery of the Smithsonian Institute is presenting, listen to this, a yuletide showing of such images as an ant-covered Jesus, Ellen DeGeneres clutching her breasts, and naked male, I'll just put it to this, private parts. And a painting the Smithsonian describes as homoerotic in its catalog. The federally funded exhibit is called Hide and Seek. Listen to this. Difference and Desire in American Portraiture. And it runs through the Christmas season, closing on February 13th. This is an exhibition that displays masterpieces of American portraiture. And we wanted to illustrate how questions of biography and identity went into the making of images that are canonical. Now, I don't know exactly what he said or meant. And, and I'm, I'm a fairly bright guy. I think he's just shooting the breeze. Could you imagine what would happen? An ant-covered Jesus. Could you imagine an ant-covered Muhammad? Yeah, yeah I, I can't imagine that much either. I'm just, I'm just telling you, see, incarnation. Why does all that happen? It's because incarnation intuitively and innately causes the darkness. Light is entering into a dark place and it causes the darkness to react. And so we have some of the same challenges that they did in the first century. We have despotic rulers. We have religion blinding the people. We have the day-to-day -day issues of life. And all the centuries may change, but people's hearts and lives do not. But the good news, let me give you, this is the good news. Incarnation means that God is a gate crasher. Amen. God is a gate-crashing, wall-breaking, obstacle-moving God. He shakes up, tears down, moves out, and does whatever is necessary to get His promise to break through in people's lives. You know, we received a word that's been just affirmed and confirmed several times about how God isn't just enough, but what He's more than enough. Isn't that right? God, God is not the little dabble-do-you God. He gives breakthrough to the uttermost. He is more than enough. Think about the length of time that God went to. And think about all the things that He did in order to deliver His people from Egypt. To bring them into promised lands. To do the things that He did all through Scripture. We, we already said it. Is there anything too big for God? Is there anything in your life that's too big for God? And the answer is no. He's a gate-crashing God. That's incarnation. Now, I'm going to show you several things here in the last five minutes I've got that are just some conditions for God to show up. You can go read the Christmas story again in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. It's the familiar uh, Christmas story about the angels showing up and all the things that took place. I want to give you five quick things. I'm going to do these just like bullet points real fast uh, that are oftentimes conditions for God to show up. 
All right, if you want God to show up in your life, number one, he shows up when you obey his voice. There were lots of people that had to obey the voice of the Lord. Is that not true with that first Christmas? Mary had to obey the voice of the Lord in order to conceive. Joseph had to obey the voice of the Lord in order not to put her away privately. Is it not true? The Magi had to, had to obey the voice of the Lord as it came through the stars in order to go. And you understand why the Magi always share this. You know why the Magi came and brought gifts? People often wonder. They, they like that at the nativity scene. I'm going to give you a secret as to why God had Magi come and bring gifts. It's because Joseph and Mary were going to need underwritten to go to Egypt to escape the Herod atrocities and massacres. So if you ever wondered how they got the money to go to Egypt, God showed up with wise men. And they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I know they are, are they're meaningful, they represent certain things, but, but in a very practical way, that was, that was God underwriting the trip that they were fixing to go on. All right? Everybody's having to obey the voice of the Lord. Shepherds had to obey the voice of the Lord. Angels were obeying the voice of the Lord. God shows up. Listen to me, folks. You, can't, you cannot disregard the voice of the Lord and expect God to show up. He shows up when we obey His voice. Number two, He shows up when you take a faith step. You know what's interesting is when the God talks to us or speaks to us, that's a wonderful, monumental thing. But, but I found out, and it's true because it's Scripture as well, that God shows up when you take a step. We want God to show up before we take a step. God, if you'll show up, I'll take a step. We, we always want it to be, God, you first, then I'll do it. But, you know, the Bible says, if you, then I will. So, so if you'll take your faith step, that's when God shows up. God does, that's why I've heard people for years saying, if God would only give me this, then I would do this. That's never going to happen. You're going to have to do first, then God moves. It's a faith step, all right? So obedience is not just agreeing with what God has said, but acting on it as well. Number three, conditions for God showing up. I found that God shows up when you're at the end of your rope. Now, I really wish he'd show up about, about two before I get to the bottom. But he always shows up when we're at the end of our rope. Now, I know for us, what we say is you're late. God says, no, I'm not. You still didn't fall, did you? I'm there. You're at the end. And a lot of times what the end of our rope means is we're at the end of ourselves. We're, 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 we're at the end of all of our thoughts and all of our considerations. And so I, I just my counsel is exhaust yourself in a hurry. <laughs> Give up quick. Surrender fast. God will move quicker. All right. Number four. When does God show up? When you desire relationship and not just religion. It's interesting. He showed up when, 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 when people were crying out that they needed a Savior. They weren't needing more religion. People always have plenty of religion. That's why I've often said it's not just, I, I mean, I'm happy when people come to church and I think church has a vital place. I will say that again, a vital, underline it, exclamation point, a vital place in all of our spiritual lives. But to be candid with you, a relationship to church is not going to help you as much as a relationship to Jesus. And he shows up when we begin to understand that's where our relationship is. Our relationship is with him, not just with religion. Now, again, there is a vital, important, critical part that the assembly and, and what church provides and does it, it, it's vital, I believe. You know, I'm a pastor. Obviously, I would think that. But I'm still telling you that we've got to break out of the program and understand that God shows up when it's back to him and me. All right? 
So when you desire that relationship and not just religion. And then number five, I believe God shows up, I really do, when his rule is challenged. When his rule is challenged. The Lord does not leave unanswered those who might mock him. I will assure you, he does not. All of Voltaire's life, he mocked the Lord. In fact, it was Voltaire who once said, the French philosopher, I believe of the 19th, 18th or 19th century, I don't know the exact dates, but it was Voltaire who said that there would come a day that the only place you would find a Bible would be on the dusty shelves of a museum. <laughs> you, know, you know, God has such a sense of humor because, you know, Voltaire died and they buried him and then they turned his house into a publishing house for Bibles. Is that not like ironic? Don't ever mock God. Some of you heard the name of Christopher Hitchens. Have you ever heard Christopher Hitchens? He's kind of the most famous atheist right now. And, and, and it's just, he's just, he is just absolutely, incredibly uh, blasphemous and off the chart. And, and unfortunately, uh, has contracted a cancer. And unless things change, it looks like that cancer is going to take him. And I can tell you to the bitter end, he is just as relentless with his fist in the face of God, saying there is no way, there is no way that he will ever turn uh, to the Lord, and even all of his skeptic friends are just encouraging him on in it, which is really interesting to me at how easy it is for the skeptic friends to sit there while he's the one dying of cancer to say, yeah, 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 keep your skepticism, keep your skepticism, and they're, you know, they're, they're doing fine. I just tell you, they're just, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not glad about it, there's no glee in it, but I'm just telling you, God is not mocked. That's Galatians 6, God is not mocked. What a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So I'm just here to tell you that God shows up whenever his rule is challenged, whether it's a pharaoh, whether it's a king, whether it's a governor, whether it's a president, whether it's a congress, he will show up when his rule or his name is challenged. Now, I'm going to read this and then I'm done for tonight. But this is a cool verse. I want everybody to get your Bibles out and I want you to look at this. Luke chapter 2. I did not read to you all of those verses in Luke 2, 8 through 12, where it talks about there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. You've heard those verses. And the angels show up in verse 11. It says that there, it was born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you that you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then verse 13, I was just rereading this and it just left out to me. In, verse, in my Bible, it says this, and suddenly. And suddenly. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, listen, this is, this is what was cool. There, there comes a moment when perhaps... People waited centuries crying out for a Savior. Perhaps, uh, even in your life, there are moments you seem like, I have spent an inordinate amount of time, it seems like, crying out to God in this situation, trying to get God to move in, in this situation, to, to take notice, to, uh, to intervene, to break through. I Believe me, I've been there myself. I've been in situations where I have been like one of the saints under the altar that has cried out, How long, O Lord, holy and true? And, and it seems like the Lord says, just a little while longer. Anybody else but me ever been under the altar like that? That's in the Revelation. They're crying out, going, how long, Lord, how long? And then the Lord says, a little bit longer. <laughs> well, that wasn't the word I was looking for. 
I mean, can you imagine wanting to hear the voice of the Lord crying out, crying out, how long, how long, how long? And then all of a sudden, the heavens open and God's going to speak and you're going, and he says, a little bit longer. You're going, oh, great. But here's the good news. See, the good news is there's always a moment that God breaks through. See, there's always the moment where he says, this is the fullness of time. This is the moment. There's always a dot on the chart somewhere where God moves. And, and can I just tell you this? It can seem like it's been a long time, but when God does that, it, it will feel like and suddenly. And suddenly God moved. I'm going to tell you one quick story. Will you give me two minutes to tell one quick story? It will only be five minutes long. Listen to this. When Trace and I, when we, when we left the denomination we were part of, now this is years ago, 1989. Wow. I mean, when we left, I, I mean, I was 28, 29 years old, somewhere in there. Literally, I had enough money to rent the U-Haul in Oakland, California, throw all my earthly possessions. We couldn't even get all of our earthly possessions in the U-Haul. The kitchen table couldn't go in. Can you imagine this, ladies? So I had to get the big old dumpster, and we had to, literally, we had to throw some of the things in the dumpster before we left because we couldn't get it all in the U-Haul. And... Uh, yeah, yeah. I wish I had a plan. We probably should have kept the table and got rid of some of the other stuff that was in there. But anyway, I wasn't going to unpack the U-Haul in order to do that. But anyway, so there's about $300 in the pocket. We're going across the country. And I mean, for the next, listen to me, for the next 15 or 16 months, I cannot even begin to tell you the, the absolute horrific time period season we went through. We weren't making enough money to pay all our bills. We started out living with Tracy's mom and dad. And of course, you know, we, you can love your parents, but that don't mean you want to live with them. It's three months. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying they were bad. I'm, it was their house. They can do anything they want. It was theirs. I was intruding in them. So it wasn't that they were doing anything wrong. It was just that that's just hard to live in something like that. And you got your little, you know, your kids are little and. And so we did that for three months. And then we finally found a place that we thought was going to be a great place. And, and so we moved into that. And it wasn't much. If, if you were to look at it now, some of you'd probably turn your nose up at it and say, I don't even know if I could live in that. Well, you know what? It's better than living in a tent in their backyard. So, so we, we had had spiders. And every time you turned, it didn't have an air conditioner. You had to turn on this big ceiling fan that just roared. And it sucked in everything from outside up to your attic. You know, it was just one of those hyper fans. And, um, and so anyway, you know, we lived there, we were going to, yeah, we, we set it up, we we're going to live there, but we, you know, we kind of dolled it up. We put a little wallpaper up and painted some things and got it looking good. Cause you don't want to just live in a piece of junk. And, and then the guy that owned it, that was renting it to us came in and saw all the work we did in it. And then he decided he wanted it back. So he said, I want it back now. So literally we got kicked out. Didn't do anything wrong. I mean, you know, we paid our bills and, but, but he just wanted it cause we fixed it up for him. So then we lived in this little 800 square foot duplex. Oh, sweet Jesus. The yard was, was 10 times the size of the duplex. And I had to mow the lawn. You know, I mean, it was just, and, and I'm talking 15 months. We couldn't, hey, we couldn't pay all our bills. We had creditors calling us on the phone. And that was back in the days when they'd tell you they'd come shoot your firstborn. I mean, that was before they passed all these laws. You know, they can't do that anymore. And, um, I mean, I mean, and you know, I was on the phone all the time going, well, I'll tell you, I can send you about $5 a month or so. And they, $5 a month. I said, well, you know, it's, it's five or nothing. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I want to pay it, but this is kind of where I'm at. 
And um, it was just hard, just hard. We were we, we, we worked during the day at, at the church, and then uh, at night we would clean offices. At night, uh, there's three or four offices we would clean up. On the weekends, I would mow lawns. Uh, it was the same season. We were, you know, selling suits at JCPenney's. You've heard all of these stories, all these stories, all these stories. I'm telling you, and it was 15 or 16 months, and I can remember praying. We were praying, going, oh, God, I can't believe this is what we, you know, you baptized us in the Holy Ghost. I mean, you baptized, you, well, you know, technically, God, you got us in trouble. You know, really, it was, it's your fault. And so really, it seems to me that you're on the line here. Because if you hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I'd be in a nice parsonage. I'd be in this and that and all the rest. And, you know, that's what your mind does to you. And, and, and you know, you're sitting there going, God, I know you're going to talk. And then how long, how long? And God shows up and goes, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. I want to go a little bit longer. Can't you see I'm dying here? But there came a moment, listen to me, in the span of 24 hours. At, at one moment, we were on the brink of collapse. And in 24 hours, things happened in such a way that it not only in 24 hours pulled us out of all of our debt. All of our debt was wiped clean in 24 hours. Every piece of debt was wiped clean. In 24 hours. Listen, that's not all that took place in 24 hours. In the same 24 hours, we, 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 we had enough money in 24 hours to put a down payment on a house. In 24 hours. That back in those days, remember, those were back in the days of, you know, 80-20 loans. 10, you had to at least have 10%. And I don't know how much we threw down. So, so it was at least 10%. So 15K down on that house. And in the span of 24 hours, it enabled us to get, because we were doing this on one vehicle. We only had one vehicle. And in 24 hours, there was enough to get a vehicle that was only a year or two old. So that we both could get to where we needed to go and, and do what we needed to do. And not only that, when we got into the new house, we, we, we had enough for some new furniture. I mean, it wasn't elaborate. It was a small little 13, 1400 square foot house. I mean, it, it wasn't this gigantic house, but let me tell you, you live in 800 square foot for a while and you get 1400 square foot. You think you're in the Taj Mahal is what you think you're in at that moment. I mean, it ain't the best. It wasn't the greatest neighborhood in the world, but I guarantee you it was better than hearing all those gunshots I was hearing at that other place. But now listen to me, 24, I'm just about done. This is so important for somebody here. And I know I'm taking just a little bit of time, but if you'll hear me, it'll be worth the time that we're taking. That in the span of 24 hours, when that 24-hour time period started, for all I knew, I was going to be there for the next 50 years. Really. I had just sort of gotten to the place. I'm not saying I wasn't walking in faith or believing God or believing the Word. But really, at that moment, for all I knew, I was going to be there the next 50 years of my life for all I knew. And in 24 hours, there was an and suddenly. Now hear me. When you're standing, and some of you may be, some of you may be standing right here going, God, am I going to, I guess I'm going to be here the rest of my life. I don't see any way out. I don't know what else to do. I, God, I, I'm believing you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to keep preaching your word. I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. I'm just... I'm telling you this, that if, that, that if you will keep doing what God's watching you do and be faithful, 
You don't know that right now on this Wednesday night, you may be standing right here on this Wednesday night and you don't know that tomorrow morning you won't get the phone call. And somebody on the other end, and I don't know how they'll say it to you, but it's interpreted this way and suddenly. But the key isn't that phone call. The key is that moment right there. When you're saying, It'd be years, I guess. But I'm still with you, Lord. Aren't you glad you serve a God that can do this, though? That's why he, said, that's why he says, don't weary, do not weary in well-doing. For you will reap in due season, the Word says, if you faint not. Stand with me.